Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, everybody. It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show, and you are listening to the heaviest, girthiest podcast out there, Talking Metal. Guys, welcome to episode 461 of the Talking Metal Podcast. Wow, 461 episodes. Can't believe it. Anyways, we have two great guests on today's show. We have Don from That Metal Show joining us, a great comedian from New Jersey. He joins us on the podcast today. And we also have Mitch, formerly of Three Sides of the Coin Podcast and Dropping the Needle Podcast. He's not doing either one of those anymore. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that, but mostly we're going to talk to him about what else. Kiss. Before we get into the episode, though, a quick message from our sponsor who, you guys, please do me a favor and support Squarespace. That's the way you support what we do here on Talking Metal. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code METAL. Again, that's METAL, all caps, M-E-T-A-L. You get 10% off, and I mean, there's so many great, great offers and things going on with Squarespace. You can get a free domain name if you sign up for a year and all sorts of other great things. It's really, again, the all-in-one place to go to create your own professional website Check them out, squarespace.com. Now, into the episode with Don Jameson and Mitch LaFont. Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Hey guys, welcome to the Friday night Talking Metal Digital Live Show. This is John Astronomy. On the line is Mark Striegel. And Yo. all the way from Spain, from Mars Attacks, it's Victor. Hey, what's happening, guys? We have two very special guests on the show today. Don Jameson from That Metal Show and Mitch LaFon, formerly of the Three Sides of the Coin podcast. Also known for his great work with... Brave words. How you doing, Victor? What's going on there? Uh, doing pretty good. Hanging in here. Uh, late night, sort of balmy here in Spain, surprisingly enough. Balmy? What, what does that mean? I don't know. 
balmy. We're up in the high 50s, so it's warmer wow. than it should be. I'll take that. Yeah, I love that. It's supposed to be actually 50 in New Jersey tomorrow. We'll see. Not high 50s, but 50, which I would love. Uh, you can check in with us, guys, on Facebook. It's facebook.com. Uh, my page, which is M. Striegel, John's page, Victor's page. Our friend Mitch Lafon is going to be joining us in a few minutes, so you can check in with him on Facebook. We are also on Twitter at twitter.com slash talking metal, username talking metal. Hope to hear from you guys. We'll try to read some of your comments on the show tonight. Guys, big news. I, I made a donation to the. There was this guy down in uh, somewhere or another, Texas or something, and he was um, basically a podcasting troll. Do you guys know no, about this? No, don't know what that is. He, he was trying to claim he owned the rights to podcasting, even like with a. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A. Um, Patent a troll. patent troll, yeah, with a patent that he had done like long before podcasting even existed. And I donated money to fight this guy, and I'm happy to say that he was uh, thrown out of court today. And nice. all us podcasters are now free to continue podcasting without <laughs> having to worry about paying some patent troll uh, uh, a share of our money. So that's great news. I had it all printed out, and I was going to read it to you guys, but, uh, of course, I lost the piece of paper. So. Uh, <laughs> This is a subject I can actually talk hours about due to the fact that, you know, I I do work in the IT field and there are a lot of patent trolls out there and unfortunately uh, there are plenty of good old boys out in Texas that are waiting to line their pockets. That's why they're trying to move all these, um, all of the court dates over into Maryland, which is a bit fair. So I'm assuming that's where he was. Yes, I think it is. I think you're right. Yeah, they yeah. they have a specific county in Texas where they approve all of these patents, and the same judge just pretty much sits there and says, "Okay, well now, uh, Joe Blow owes so and so fifty million dollars because he's podcasting." Interesting, interesting stuff. Well, we don't have to worry about that guy anymore. A big shout out to David Isaac, who is a New York guy. John, he wants to have beer with us. He's like a crazy, oh, uh, yeah. He's a crazy uh, marathon runner, dude. I love this guy, Dave David Isaac. He and his son, his son has the name my son has, Harrison. Listen to nice. the show, and David sent in a twenty dollars donation. So thank you for that, David. And thank uh, you, David. Yeah, he was happy that we turned him on to Badlands. So oh, great band, uh, and uh, never too too late to uh, enjoy the music of Badlands. So thank you, David. And also, we got another letter from, let's see, where is this? Oh, yeah. Shit. Oh, we got looking. You got it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. We got another email from a guy who wanted to talk about Van Halen. He was is writing a book, by the way, and his name is Greg. Yeah, and he emailed me, and he's writing a book on Van Halen, the early years, and he has a blog, which I checked out, which is really cool, guys. We're going to link it through today's show notes, vanhalenrising.com. Greg, thanks for your email. It's great to hear from you. I'm glad you enjoy what we do here on Talking Metal. I just actually, speaking of Van Halen books, it's not exactly a Van Halen book, but I just finished Sammy Hagar's book. And have either either of you guys read this book? No, not yet. Although I do like Sam Hagar. Victor, did you read it? 
I have not read it, but I am on the polar opposite side of uh, John Astronomy. Yeah. <laughs> not a Sammy fan. All right. Well, I-, I love Sammy. I think he's great, and and this is a great read. Sammy, of course, played on four of the studio albums that Van Halen has released throughout their career. Five, if you include that live album he did with them, because in his book he reveals they recorded the whole thing over in the studio, which I thought was pretty wild. and But not that wild, because a lot of bands have been known to do that. And uh, the thing that I found most interesting about this book was Sammy seems to imply that one of the main reasons he fell out of favor with the Van Halen brothers, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons, and I never heard this, is Cabo Wabo, that bar. The bar. Yeah. Now, now, the Van Halen... Well, basically, the Van Halen... Exactly. They invested in it, okay? And it did well for like a a year, and then it just tanked, and it was losing money. Um, It had fallen into a state of disrepair, which was not doing good. This is the way Sammy tells it. And so while the bar was uh, out, like not doing well, he basically bought the Van Halen brothers out um, and took over the whole thing on his own. And they were no longer co-owners with him. After he bought them out, basically, or got them out of of being an owner. I guess it was a really complex contract. The bar suddenly, Sammy really stepped it up, and the bar suddenly started doing good and making a ton of money, you know, releasing its own tequila, the Cabo Wabo tequila, and basically went on to be this million-dollar thing, uh, just pulling in money. And the Van Halen brothers really felt that Sammy had duped them and let it go bad just to simply to buy them out only to then, you know, make even more money by owning it solely wow. or on his own. And they held that grudge for just literally, even when they got back ten together 10 years later to do that, like, so-called reunion tour, they were still pissed about the Cabo Wabo thing, uh, especially Eddie, it sounds like. So that's interesting. I yeah. never heard that. I never heard that that was yeah, kind What a of, nutty thing part of their falling out but it's like they Jeez. say never go go into business with friends you know and correct uh, that uh seems to be what happened here so let's get into the song cabo wabo off ou812 i've been
Right now, guys, we're going to get into a little comedy by Don Jameson. How long have you known Don, John? I swear that I've known Don Jameson since the early 90s when I was working in the Concourse Library. Yeah, yeah. He uh, was a production guy at, at VH1 and MTV. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his new comedy record, which is called Hell Bent for Laughter. And it's, it's a funny record. Sometimes I'm... Hot and cold on comedy records, but this is a great record. I listened to it all the way through. We're going to get into a track right now, a comedy track off the record, and then we're going to hear from Don. It's an interview I recorded with him earlier. This is Motley, ACDC, and My Awful Sideburns. 
by Don Jameson. Motley Crue? Any Motley fans in the house? Motley Crue. I love Motley Crue, but if you go see them live in concert, that singer Vince Neil, he sings like three words of the song, and then he puts the mic out. You gotta sing the rest of the song. If he sings any less lyrics, they're gonna have to change the name of that band to Motley Karaoke. Oh, I love their drummer, Tommy Lee, right? Tommy Lee's a badass drummer, right? But he's also as famous for the size of his penis as I am not famous for the size of my penis. Tommy Lee's penis is longer than Inagata DeVito, okay? We've all seen the Pam and Tommy sex video, right? I love the part, yeah, you gotta respect a man who could blow the horn of a boat with his erection. Yeah. And he was still standing on the dock at the time. I couldn't even blow the horn of a big wheel in my erection. <laughs> Wait, let me correct that. I couldn't even blow the horn of a hot wheel in my erection. <laughs> and their guitar player, Mick Mars, you ever see this guy, Mick Mars, man? He's got this spinal thing where he's like all hunched over like this, man. And it sucks, right? But, you know, he can still tour, he can still play, and even if he doesn't want to, he can totally blow himself. <laughs> Which makes that a really cool disease to have, right? <laughs> Like, if you got cancer and you knew it would make you blow yourself, nobody would ever fucking raise money for that ever again. <laughs> and now that we just talked about Tommy Lee, that's two guys in the same band who could actually blow themselves. <laughs> How about ACDC? Any ACDC fans in the house? ACDC? ACDC's been playing the same three chords for the last 40 years. Angus Young's been wearing the same schoolboy outfit for the last 40 years. The only thing that stopped that band now is a B-sharp minor chord and Jerry Sandusky being released from prison. <laughs> you have the son that goes to Penn State? What happened? <laughs> if you watch the show, I appreciate you watching it. Thank you very much. I appreciate all your support. Um, I appreciate you busting my balls about my sideburns on Twitter and Facebook and all that shit. I know, they're awful. I can see you looking at me like, seriously, Don? It's 2013. Unless you're going to a Civil War reenactment immediately after the show, you gotta shave those fucking things. So women say, oh, it's sexy because Hugh Jackman has them. Yeah, I'm me, huge jack off, pretty much. Can you guys see them in the back? Can you see the sideburns? Yeah. How about in the balcony? Can you guys see them up there? <laughs> it looks like I'm being ear fucked by two chipmunks, you know what I mean? But my girlfriend says she likes them. I don't know if she likes them or if she just knows no other chick wants to bang me with these things. <laughs> but my girlfriend likes stuff from the 70s, like, you know, big mutton chops, wallet chains, bell-bottom jeans, syphilis, disco balls, <laughs> El Camino, Harry Bush. <laughs> well, I mean, no, what she does, she grooms down there because I have these sideburns so that when I go down on her, it looks like I have a full beard. <laughs> People were like, have you seen that movie Lincoln yet? She's like, no, but he was between my legs last night. <laughs> he emancipated like three orgasms. It was awesome. It's better than my last girlfriend. When it went down on her, it looked like it was in ZZ Top. <laughs> but I don't do any, really, any man grooming down there, and that's weird, because when I'm getting a hand job, it looks like she's stabbing a poodle to death. <laughs> Metal, Not obsessed about yeah, penis cool. size, but I All right, think man, we'll, uh, we'll get rolling here. Said, um, 
Hey, this is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and on the line we have Don Jameson. Don, how are you? Hey, great to be on the podcast with you, bro. Yeah, I know you were on once before. I think uh, John did a, a solo interview with you, so I'm glad that I get the chance to catch up with you this time. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is great. I uh, appreciate you having me back on. Oh, you bet. You have a, a great record out, which I listened to all the way through, Hell Bent for Laughter. <laughs> And it is, it's a really funny record. I, I mean, I recommend the Talking Metal listeners go and pick this up. I want to talk to you a little bit about your, your whole comedy thing as well of, as, of course, that metal show. But let's yeah, start. Well, let's, thank you, man. I pre- Look, when you're on Metal Blade, you, you know, you got you to gotta turn it up a few notches. You know, uh, you know you, I like to do comedy on the edge. You know, I don't like to hold back. And, you know, if you're on a label that has a band like Cannibal Corpse, you know, they're, they're not going to ask you to tone it down at all. So. Right. <laughs> it was a no-brainer for everybody. It's, you mentioned Metal Blade, and I wanted to ask you about doing live comedy. You're obviously known as the guy from that metal show, and, and you're on Metal Blade, which is obviously, like you said, a very heavy metal label. When you and, and the routines that you do on Hellbent for Laughter, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them deal with hard rock and heavy metal music. Do you find when you're out doing the comedy circus, circuit and you're at just like your average club in Ohio somewhere that people know you from that metal show and are expecting you to do a lot of hard rock and heavy metal jokes? I think people are just expecting to laugh if they're in a comedy club. But, you know, honestly, um, I, you know, for me, uh, you know, metal and hard rock has always been a part of my life. But, you know, obviously re- in the last five years, even more so um, than ever. So that's why there's a lot of it on this album, because, you know, I want to tip my cap to all the, you know, the metalheads and the hard rockers who have supported me. But also I wanted to make it an album that just regular, you know, people who like comedy could listen to. I didn't do real any real, you know, all the stuff on there is, is bands that, you know, pretty much your average person can relate to. And, you know, what if a few people missed, you know, missed some of the jokes, that's okay too. But I just wanted to get the best stuff out there. And like I said, I, you know, my life is so consumed, like yours is, with, with this scene. It's, it would be, you know, criminal for me not to, to put jokes about the bands that I love on the album. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you, I know this is your second record with, with Metal Blade, but how did you initially get hooked up with them? I think uh, Brian Slagle just drank too much wine one time and accidentally offered <laughs> me a record deal. So, of course, I <laughs> immediately accepted it. And, um, you know, uh, he picked up my my option again when, when I said I wanted to record another album. And I was going to do this album no matter what, but, you know, having Metal Blade, you know, uh, behind me is just you know it's just incredible to uh to have their support and uh you know just proud to have their logo you know stamped on the the back of you know one of my cds i mean i said you, you want to call don james as an asshole you that's fine with me i don't care just as long as it says metal blade on it i'll be i'll be pumped <laughs> right right one of the guys you poke fun at on the cd uh, there's a lot of them but one of them is mick mars and I know you just had him on that metal show on VH1, which is on my DVR. I haven't watched it. I think it actually aired last night. How how is Mick in person? Did he? Does, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, he's not healthy. And what was your uh, opinion sitting down and talking with the guy? Um, just a cool, just a very cool, nice guy, man. Real, just down to earth, mellow. Um, it was funny. I just saw a picture that uh, that metal show just tweeted out. <laughs> he kind of trashed his dressing room at the show 
which uh, just made me <laughs> smile because it's just like, you know, this guy's a rock star through and through. Right. I think this guy just lives to, to play music. That's, that's his whole thing, man. And he's not letting, you know, his disease get in the way of doing that. And it's very painful for him. Uh, but he, you know, I mean, this guy, you know, he will die with a guitar in his hands. You know, that's the vibe I get from him. Very honest, very open about stuff. Uh, just you could not have been nicer, man. You know, when you say very honest and very open, it, it's kind of interesting because when they announced this farewell tour, I think there was like an interview with Vince where he said, well, Mick's not going to be able to do it much longer. And then I thought Tommy said the same thing in another interview. And then they both kind of backpedaled on that saying, oh, that, that isn't the reason the, the band is ending. Is that something right. you spoke to Mick about? Yeah, and he said, yeah, it's not true. You know, he, he said that, you know, that has nothing to do with me. He goes, I'm going to keep touring long after Motley's done. So, you know, my, my, my beef with those, not beef, but, you know, my, my take on the whole thing is like, you know, you, you show me the band that said this is our final tour that actually did it, you know, and I'll believe it when I see it, you know. And I talked with Mick about that, too. We broke each other's balls on the show, and we talked about it in the green room before. You know, it's all good. I don't think they're doing it. I don't think they're doing it to sell more tickets to charge a higher price. But every band, the same thing happens, man. They get out of the loop for about a year. They go, oh, my God, nobody cares about us anymore. Someone comes out of the woodwork with a lot of money, and boom, there they are again back on the road. So I just said, you know, hey, look, I don't care if it's the final tour. I'm going to go see it. And then if there's another final tour after that, I'll probably go to that too. I'm not going to worry about, oh, they said this was the last one, so I'm not, I can't go to the next one. I'll go to the next one, too. It doesn't matter to me. Right on. Well, it should be a good tour with Alice Cooper opening up. That Alice has been on that metal show, too, right? Yeah, a couple times. And, uh, yeah, he's just one of those guys, man. You know, I, I don't, you've interviewed a million guys, man. I, I don't know who does it to you, but he's just one of those guys, besides also being just one of the sweetest guys in metal. For me, being such a huge Coop fan, I, I, when he comes on, I still feel like I'm like a high school girl fawning over, like, the captain of the football team. Right. When he comes on, I'm like all giddy and like even Eddie's like, you know, you, you know, you take over the interview because, you know, you, you get so charged up when he comes on. So I uh, can't wait to have him back again. Excellent. I know you love a lot of the classic hard rock and heavy metal bands, but what about like newer bands? And when I say newer, I mean within the past like 10 to 15 years. What bands out of that bunch are some of your favorites? Well, um, I guess, you know, Amon Amarth is pretty much, you know, in the last 10 years, the band that I've really just grown to love and have really followed closely. And, you know, their label mates of mine, so I've gotten to, to know the guys in the band. I've done, you know, a bunch of events with them. Um, so, you know, they're definitely, you know, a big one for me. I, I really love those guys. Um, uh, let's see. Um, in the last 10... You know, there's a band that I really love. I'm sure that you know, but this might be kind of a stretch for for some of the listeners. But uh, there's a band called Catatonia out of Sweden, right? That um, I really love. Who kind of uh, they actually have a good following in the states now. They hadn't toured here forever, but um, those guys do sort of a a real heavy kind of ambient. Yeah, I was going to say I'm more avant-garde, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, you know, I like that kind of stuff. And uh, of course, you know, I, I talk every season of not that not that they're new, but uh, you know, I always like to throw out a mention just because you said avant-garde. But 
typo negative, of course. Uh, you know, I always give them a, a shout out. But yeah, I know that they're not new. But uh, right. I'm just uh, I'm just, sure. tr- just trying to come up with, a, with with some other new stuff. Obviously, Danko Jones, we've talked a lot about on the show, and we've been able to have them on. But like new, new, you know, I really like Scorpion Child a lot. Oh. Um, yeah, and I actually just um, I just heard this band uh, Mount Salem. They're a real doomy, gloomy band from Chicago with a female vocal, and I, I really kind of love them. Excellent. And what about your band, Gunfire and Sodomy? What are you guys currently up to? We're just, you know, just taking a break right now, man, because between filming that metal show and getting my CD out there and all that stuff, I'm just like kind of crazed right now and also getting on the road. You know, Jim, Eddie, and I are, are, are heading out on the road to do a bunch of gigs together, too. So, you know, we're just uh, we're, we're putting that to the side for a little while. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's been a lot of fun, uh, acoustic death metal, um, because, you know, serial killers need a favorite band, too. <laughs> right on. Right on. So when you're out doing the comedy stuff, doing comedy clubs, where, what are some of your favorite cities to visit? I think my stuff, you know, really works good in, like, blue-collar places, you know. So, you know, um, you know, Kansas City and Baltimore and, you know, Chicago, Detroit, places like that, man. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hip alternative comic. I'm, you know, I'm a 47-year-old guy who wears, you know, jeans and a concert shirt. And, that's, <laughs> and I go on stage and tell jokes, so... Yeah, I think that I kind of uh, appeal to the blue-collar crowd. Not blue-collar in the sense of, like, Larry the Cable Guy blue-collar, but right. just, you know, like, hey, man, you know what? I, I've been free. I'm a plumber. I've been working all friggin' week. You know, I've been busting my ass. My wife's been, you know, breaking my balls to to take her out. So Friday night we're going to go out and see some fucking comedy, and, you know, I just want to laugh. You know, and that's the kind of crowd I love. You know, I just pack as many jokes in, into a headlining set as I can, and, you know, if there's three or four you don't like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pound you with ten more, and, and you're definitely gonna leave getting a lot of laughs. Right. I'm, a, I'm a that's how I work as a comic. I'm a blue collar worker. I work hard. I pack in as many laughs as I can. You know, I want people to have a good time, and and I want to have a good time too. And I like a really playful crowd too, which is why I recorded my album, you know, here in Jersey at this particular club because it's so much atmosphere and and characters and crazy stuff going on in this club, and I wanted that to be a part of the album. Wait, can you tell us the name of the club? Oh, yeah, it's called Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club in right. Point Pleasant. And um, I recorded four shows. The album's basic. It's like 96% one show and then a few jokes from some of the other nights. But, uh, you know, like a woman drops. It's a BYOB comedy club. Which yeah, I heard like, you say that on the record, yeah. Yeah, and like a, a woman drops a bottle of wine and it, and it breaks on the ground. I left that in. Yeah. You know, I left a lot of that kind of stuff in because a lot of album comedy albums don't have a lot of personality. It's the comic tells a joke, you hear this huge laugh, and then he tells another joke and or she, and then, then you hear another huge laugh, and then there's another. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. no, there's nothing else going on. So that comic could be in Kansas City, they could be in Fort Lauderdale, they could be in New Mexico. You have no idea. You know, I wanted to leave some of the personality of the room in there. And, you know, there's such an art to delivering stand-up comedy, and obviously you, you have it down. Who did you study and who did you learn from? Andrew Dice Clay. That's my, you know, he's the reason that I stepped on stage for the first time. And uh, crazy to even think that, you know, 12 or 13 years later, you know, I met him and Jim Florentine was opening for him at the time and, 
Jim couldn't do, you know, a handful of gigs, so he recommended me, and then I started opening for Dice, and, you know, and here it is now, eight years after that, that Dice is one of my best friends, and I still go on the road and tour with him, and I've gone over the world with him doing comedy, so it, it's, you know, it's like crazy shit, you know, it's like, it's like John working with Ace. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, your hero like likes you and you know wants to work with you it's it's just it's a you know it totally blows my mind out i've i've seen that happen over and over again where it's like i mean even like ozzy's assistant is this guy tony who is just like this crazy ozzy fan who ended up right yeah yeah you know which is very similar with ace and and john for that matter yeah exactly and you know and yeah and i and you know but i do you know i like the dirtier comics i was always a fan of Pryor and carlin and kinnison but dice was always number one for me but i also like the clean guys look for me if if you're funny you're funny that's all i care about i don't think like if i watch a comic he's funny and i laugh the whole time and i go oh he was clean doesn't matter you know you just you gotta when you're a comic you gotta do you gotta do what you makes you happy and you got to write about what you know, which is why I tell a lot of dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, apparently your erection not even big enough to blow the horn of a Hot Wheel. That was great. No, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned writing jokes, and and you know a lot of people outside the comedy world might not realize because it always sounds so effortless when you're up there doing it. But you must you must spend time developing these jokes and working these jokes out. I mean, how do you how do you come up with this stuff? It's just stuff from real life, you know what I mean? It's it's all just, you know, you know, that's, you know, I had 14 years to sort of hone and write my first album, Live and Hilarious, and I had like two and a half to do this one, but in a lot of ways, this one's way more focused, and, you know, all the, all the stuff is about my life in the last three years, so that's why I think this album is a million times better. It's just way more focused. But yet again, like if you listen to both albums, you're like, oh, you know, sound, you know, some of the jokes that like seem very similar, and it's because it's like, well, you know, these are the things that are interesting in my life that, that I like to talk about just in different ways. I'm, you know, like ACDC, they play the same three chords on every album, but somehow they make make different albums, and and everyone kicks ass. So that's how I am as a comic. You know, I'm I'm good at three things, and I just stick with them. Right on, right on, cool. Well, the album again is. Hellbent for laughter. It's out on, or will be out on Metal Blades, right? It's not out. Yeah, March eighteenth. March eighteenth comes out, and uh, my last album. Again, thanks to uh, definitely thanks to a big part to you know all the rock fans out there um, went to top ten on Billboard. So uh, I'm I'm really hoping you know we uh, we get up there on the charts for this one too, and top twenty on iTunes. And uh, so uh, you know. Uh, just uh, and I'm really proud of this one, man. So I appreciate you giving me the time to get the word out on it. Yeah, I think it's a great record. I mean, you even make a joke about it going on the uh, the Billboard charts and how the name was so similar to uh, what was it, Lu- Louis? Uh, yeah, Louis C.K. had now yeah. Mal called Hilarious at the same time that I put out Live and Hilarious. So I think a lot of people downloaded my album accidentally. So. Yeah, well, I doubt that, but it makes for a good joke on the record, definitely. Yeah, and also, you know, I, and I was going to wait for him to name his next album and then name mine something really similar <laughs> to it, but he just, I don't think he's making one right now, so I, I went with Hellbent for Laughter. Right on. Cool, and before we let you go, just, uh, you know, John mentioned as as we were leading into the interview here that he's known you over over 20 years, and I definitely remember you from, uh, you know, the production world of, of VH1 and MTV Networks. What, what did you actually do 
um, before you were out there doing comedy and that metal show uh, production-wise at MTV Networks? Yeah, as a, as a long-haired kid coming out of college, man, I, I, um, I was lucky enough to score an internship, and then my first job was like in the talent department at MTV. So um, I used to do talent booking, and then... Um, yeah, I was very involved with, um, you know, they had a stand-up comedy show at the time. I got involved in booking that. That's how I really, you know, st- that started stoking my fire to get up on stage and, and start telling jokes. And then I was, you know, a writer and a producer for many years over there. And, uh, you know, it was a killer job, but, you know, I just, I knew I wanted to do other stuff. But, yeah, John, it was, you know, when you met another guy with long hair, like when I met John and he ran the tape library, you know, that you, know, you always sort of gravitate toward, towards each other, you know. And I knew he was an artistic guy. He knew I was a creative guy. Right. So we always sort of, you know, vibed on that. And uh, But, yeah, I did that for a long time, man. And uh, it was a killer job. But, you know, you know, now MTV's, you know, just like pregnant 16-year-olds. So. Yeah. <laughs> What was it, half-hour comedy hour? Was that what the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah the old comedy shows, yeah. yeah. So, uh, But I gave a lot of, you know, big people their first break, man. I'm very proud. You know, Kevin James, the King of Queens, and John Stewart, and Caroline Ray, and Jay Moore. So, uh, you know, that was, you know, I'm very proud of all that. But, you know, obviously, again, I, you know, I wanted to get up and do it, too, and, uh, you know, make my own little mark. And, uh, you know, obviously, my, my life's been dedicated to hard rock and metal, you know, and I always hoped that those two worlds could someday collide. So here we are. Excellent. Great. Well, pick up the album, guys. It comes out on March 18th, Hellbent for Laughter, Don Jameson. And, of course, you can on that metal show on VH1 Classic. So, Don, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks. And everybody also, you know, keep supporting uh, Talking Metal, the podcast, man. You guys do amazing work. And uh, hope to get you guys back on TV, too, man. It's It's been too long. Oh, thanks, man. We 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 keep trying. <laughs> yeah, well, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna get you back there, man, because uh, the scene needs it. You know, there's a lot of support out there for it. So, um, you know, everybody keeps supporting Talking Metal, and uh, we'll, I'll talk to you again soon, man. Cool, great. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Mark. All right. What you just heard was a little Don Jameson of that metal show. Check out his new record. It is Hell Bent for Laughter. Big thanks to John for joining us on this episode of Talking Metal. Up next, we have another interview with Mitch LaFon, who recently left the Three Sides of the Coin podcast. But uh, we're going to talk to Mitch about that and a bunch of other stuff. So let's get into a little, a little music that Mitch put together, and then we'll talk to Mitch. Can you tell us what we're going to hear, Victor? Absolutely. This comes off of the A World with Heroes Uh, his tribute album that he put together a few months back this is goodbye which actually features bob kulik bruce's brother on lead guitar who i believe played on the original i think so right john uh probably on paul's solo album i mean there were different guitars so i'm not sure it was on every track but i would bet that he did play on that one all right cool let's check it out and hopefully we'll have mitch on the line when we get back
That was Goodbye, coming off of the A World with Heroes tribute album. Mitch, LaFon is on the line with us. Mitch, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well, actually. Doing very well. I kind of figured that's... free these days. Yeah, I kind of figured that was a good song to, to bring you in on since it's a <laughs> off the record you put together and b it yeah. is it is goodbye you recently said goodbye to three sides of the coin i did yeah i did and uh, you know so sometimes in life you uh, you have to make decisions that are uh, difficult but uh, but needed and uh this one for me was needed but uh you know uh, if i can just talk quickly about that 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 tribute album that was also that was also needed and that one you know so far it's raised over thirty thousand dollars for the palliative care center locally that that it was supposed to it's it's for where my uh my wife's father passed away and the whole thing and it, it was such a great experience every musician on there donated their time donated their their talents and uh, it's just nice to see that the rock community can come together, much like we're doing here tonight on this thing. I mean, here we are, four people in four different parts of the world. We come together to talk rock, and it's it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Ab- absolutely. And and that song that we just heard, Goodbye, actually mm-hmm. fe- features Bob Kulik. Can you tell yeah. us, did, did Bob play on the—I know we know he played on Paul's solo record, but did he play sure. on that actual song on the solo record? On the— Oh, that's a good question. You mean on 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 Paul's '78 solo record? Did he play yes. on that song? Right. Yes. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm I'm assuming yes, and that's why uh, you know it's uh, Tommy Denander who has this band Impera out of Sweden, and he contacted me through Skype and said, "Listen, I heard about you this this Kiss project you're doing, and I want to donate the song." And Bob played on it. And as far as I recall, the conversation going, it was Bob recreating a solo he had done from 78 so nice yeah i, I can't give you a hundred percent answer but i'm pretty sure that that's the answer and, and it's a great solo and, and it, it's it's great to have bob on the album i mean i have a it, you know the if you look at that album it's it's six degrees of kiss geekdom right i mean i've got people who wrote i had people who played i had people who covered I, there's all kinds of strange stuff i mean i have that song outer space which showed up on ace Frehley's anomaly album but it's a cover song. People don't know that. Uh, we got Bob Kulik. We got Kevin Valentine. It's it, it. It was a great way to stretch my little Kiss geekdom to this album and and, and see who I could get. Absolutely, uh, Mitch. Uh, w- what a great accomplishment and congratulations for raising so much money for such a great cause. And and still raising. Just wanted to. Oh, excellent. Absolutely. And, um, boy, we are just excited to have you on our show, and uh, we, we really thought your show was great, and we followed your career, you know, throughout, because we've, we've known your work with Brave Words, and I've known that one of the coolest things is that you interviewed Gene, like, back in the day, so, like, before any of us, you know, oh, even man. thought about doing interviews, how did that come about? This is, like, when you were 12 years old or something, right? 11 years old, June 9th, 1980. Yeah, listen, I, I, I've i always been very, um, what's the word, go-getter-ish in a sense. You know, I'm, I'm a go-getter, and I was sitting at home enjoying Dynasty and enjoying all these these albums, and, and I looked on the back, and it said, O-Coin Management, New York. So I phoned the New York operator and got a phone number. They gave it to me. 
because that's what people did. And I phoned and, I, and they said, hello, Ocoin Management. And I said, can I have an interview with Kiss? And they said, yeah. I went, it's amazing. oh, well, that was easy. And um, they, they had offered me Paul Stanley and all that. And, and, and you know, I, I, I went and talked to my mom. My mom was doing some freelance for, reporting for uh, CBC Canada and Denmark's radio. So she had access to actual recording equipment and stuff. And I said, listen, I got an interview with Kiss. Uh, can you drive me to New York? And most moms would say no. But she said, yeah, okay, sure, no problem. You know? <laughs> like, like, you know, it was very surreal. And then the Kiss office called back and said, oh, you know what? Paul Stanley's not available. Would it be okay if you spoke to Gene? And I was just like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Anyway, long story short, my mom drove me to New York. We got to Ocoin Management. I wrote all the questions for her because she had no knowledge of KISS. She went in and spoke to Jean for about 12 minutes. She comes out, and you can hear it on the tape because I put both parts up on YouTube. She says, my son has a few questions for you. Would you mind? And he was so gracious. I mean, here he, he comes out to the lobby, no makeup, big leather coat on, brown leather coat, brings me to this office, and literally from the top of the ceiling to the bottom of the floor, Every single wall covered in gold records. And he was pointing them out going, that's from Norway, that's from Sweden, that's from Canada, that's from France, that's triple platinum, that's double platinum. And, and, you know, and they had these leather chairs. I mean, I I was 11 years old. These chairs, you could have sworn that I was in some kind of like Jack the Giant Slayer movie. These chairs were humongous. And I sat in them and he sat right next to me face to face and he answered every question I had. And he didn't go... Oh, you stupid kid, or all right, get out of here. Every question. And of course, at the end of the interview, Gene says to uh, my mom and I, because she was in the room, he says, uh, Would you like to go for lunch? And my mom wow. said, She said, No, we've taken too much of your time. Wow. Wow. <sighs> Man, Mitch, that is an insane story. And I bet that was at 645 Madison. Was that correct? Yes, that is the address. That is wow, amazing, man. and that's a great Mitch, story. Uh, that is an unbelievable story, and and I wow. posted that that video on YouTube. You can listen to the audio. That is so cool. I will definitely check that out. I didn't never realized how cool that story was. I, I knew that you had interviewed him, but I didn't know that you traveled all the way to New York to do that yeah. and the Drove cool thing with your mom Montreal. and everything. You know what? And and not to try to jump on this, but I have a, a very less cool thing, but you will appreciate it. In 1986, mm-hmm. uh, my my dad was in New York on business, and at the time I lived in Pennsylvania. And uh, but we we came out for the trip, and my mom and I went to 655 Madison, which was, you know, down the road, and went to Glickman and Marks, and uh, the uh, people who worked there gave us, uh, you know, uh, an asylum tour book and a couple of posters, and that was a, a great, great experience for me, but nothing nothing even comparing to what your experience was, yeah, but a similar thing. Very similar, and, and you know, what, what was great about this is that this was just after Peter had left and before Eric had been announced, so when wow, I asked so Gene, amazing. who's the new drummer, they said, oh, we know, but we're not telling you, wow. so that was a very... In between moment. And then after that, you mentioned Glickman and Marx. For about three years after that, Gene, or Gene through Gene's word, had Kiss Christmas cards sent to me. 
And the wow, address wow. would be Glickman and Mark. I, I still have them downstairs. And, you know, you, people ask why I'm such a Kiss fan. I mean, when, when somebody touches you on a personal level like that at such a young age, when they should have told you, get the hell out of here, young kid, you become loyal and you, you have an appreciation right. that people can't understand. And people say to you, you know, why do you like the Unmasked album? I mean, he gave me a promo copy of the Unmasked album. Wow. I didn't know what promo copies was. It was gold stamped. You know, they don't they don't do that anymore, but it was gold stamped. And you go, yeah, of course, you come home at that 11 years old and you have this gold stamped unmasked album. You play it until the grooves run out and you go, that's my favorite album. And you forget about music. You just go, it's got this moment in time. And uh, I still love that album to this day. And I cringe when I hear people say, oh, it's too Sarah syrupy and it's it's like no, no, it's a great album. It Let is a great. It, it is a great album. I think it's a great pop record. You know, it's a, yeah. it wasn't quite as hard as as they were, but the songwriting you can't beat it. I mean, it's some the songs are so well crafted on that record. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, now, when you run into Gene, because you've obviously had dealings in in run-ins with him since you know that day so many years ago does he remember do you remind him hey i'm the kid who came down to new york to interview you and does he have any recollection of that uh you know not really i you know they gave me this letter that for a few years i could go backstage and hand this letter to a security guard and they would get me a backstage pass and that i don't think it was really done through gene but i, I met him at the uh, convention in montreal in 95 and i said hey i did this interview with you and i had it on cd and stuff and uh, he said oh thank you and took it and, and that was about it and uh, i saw him again oh years after that probably after the reunion tour and i've mentioned it and it's like oh well you know i i, I see a million people i don't think they he recognizes me now after right. I did this Kiss tribute album and I went to see them this summer, I think I got a sort of a, oh, I know who you are. I mean, Paul certainly vocalized it. He said, you're the guy who did the tribute album for your dad. And I went, no, for my father-in-law. And that was the extent of that conversation. So I think they, they, they got to know me for that. But I don't think it was for the interview. But I'll tell you, I was out in the studio in uh, Burbank doing something with L.A. Guns and uh, sitting there with Tracy Guns. And he goes, aren't you the kid that did that, that interview when you were 11? And I mean, this was 1997. And he goes, wow. and I go, yeah. And that led to a conversation. And that led to a, to a relationship with the guys in L.A. Guns. And quite frankly, it led to what I do today. Because through that, uh, you know, Tracy would say, hey, this is Mitch. Have you met him? He's done this. And then that person would. And you know how it is in the rock world. Once you know one person, it sort of just blossoms and you get to know. And that's how, over the years, I've gotten to know all these different rock stars, and I got to do all this stuff for Brave Words, and it all started with that interview, quite wow. frankly. Very cool, Mitch. Yeah. So, so you're still doing work with Brave Words. We see interviews that, that you do pop up on Brave Words. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> as far as podcasting goes, you've announced that you're no longer doing right. the Three Sides of the Coin podcast. and. Correct. Uh, the the other podcast, uh, drop, Dropping the Needle, you're done with that too, I assume, right? Well, yeah, unfortunately, one goes with the other, right? Uh, right. It, it was the, three, the same three guys, and so whatever issues we had that couldn't be resolved obviously uh, apply to both podcasts. It's unfortunate, but I, I was really of the opinion 
that to grow an audience, you got to give what the audience what they want. And I really felt that interviews is what audiences wanted. Now, listen, you can't have interviews every week. First of all, there's just not guests every week and there's not opportunity every week. But when the opportunity arises, uh, I think you need to jump on them. And there are a few guests that we passed on simply because it was decided that we should not do an interview that week. And I, I, I was of the, of the opinion that if there's three guys talking about Kiss, you know, and you're telling the story about Hot in the Shade, well, that's, that's cool. But at the same time, if you have a guy who was there and that's he even saw cooler. something, well, that's even cooler. And so they'd say, well, you know, we've done three in a row and blah, blah, and we need to take a break. And it's like, well, you know, if we can do 10 in a row, then let's do 10 in a row and take that break. I mean, there's always a moment to sit down and say, Carnival of Souls is a great album because, or Unmask is a bad album because, but getting the guy who was in the studio is not an opportunity that's always there. And some of the guests were very clear with me, you know, because I, I did not all, but I did some of the booking for the, for the guests. They'd say, Mitch, I need to have this done by whatever, April 1st. And if it's not done, then, you know, I, I, I can't do it. So I, I felt a sense of urgency in getting some of them done, which was not felt by everybody. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I, it really was, to me, it was important to get that done for the fans. And, and, and since I can do it anyway, uh, I can do these interviews one-on-one. I just did one with Richie Wise, who was the producer of uh, Kiss and Hotter Than Hell. I've put it up on my Facebook. I've sent it out on my Twitter I sent it over to uh, Kiss Asylum, and, and I sent it over to Brave Words and so on. And they'll most likely run it. I mean, most of my stuff gets picked up anyway. So I, I, it'll still get out there. It, it'll still be propagated. So why not, right? And, and right. I, think, I, think they, I think the interview I did with Richie is fantastic. I mean, I said to him, are you embarrassed by Hotter Than Hell? And instead of saying, shut up, Mitch, he goes, yeah. <laughs> You know, yet I saw that and I was going to use that as a teaser to tell people that Richie Wise says he is, quote, embarrassed. But we're not going to tell you why you got to go listen to the interview to find out. Yeah, go listen, because he does. He does go on for another two or three or even five minutes explaining why that product he's he told me, I don't want to talk about that. album. And I said, well, what do you mean you don't want to talk about it? It's the 40th anniversary. He goes, no, I'm embarrassed. And uh you know, when you've worked with Kiss and you've put together two of their greatest albums and you're telling the world, I don't want to talk about one of these albums because I'm embarrassed, that, that's kind of interesting, right? Right. Certainly yeah. more interesting than whether or not Mitch LaFon finds Hot in the Shade to be a good Kiss album. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, the interview that you mentioned, is, so it's up on YouTube, but will, yeah. you be, will you be podcasting, you know, over iTunes and with an RSS uh, uh, or is the, or are you just happy putting stuff up on YouTube? Well, to be perfectly honest, I, I'm happy putting the stuff up on YouTube, but I'm, I'm happier when the Kiss sites and Brave Words for other interviews, you know, when I interview Buck Cherry or Metallica or whatever, uh, I'm, I'm happy when those guys put it out there. I, I looked into the podcasting thing, and it really seems like a massive headache, <laughs> to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Um, but... Listen, I'll send the audio over to you guys if you want to put it up. I have no yeah, problem. I'll we'll, send you the MP3. That's not a problem. Well, maybe we should talk about that at another yeah. time because, yeah, we're we're trying to kind of 
turn talking metal into like this whole podcasting family. But uh, yeah, that's a discussion for another time. But I, I think I think the the thing that's nice about the podcasts are that you don't have to go to YouTube and you know the, it comes right to your phone or your 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 iPad and you can you can listen to it on the bus or in the car on the way yeah, to work. No, I, um, I agree. It's 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 exceptionally user friendly and. I got to consider it. I mean, for, you know, some of these interviews are, are, are done for work and some of these interviews are done for my pleasure. And so I got to sort of balance out how much time and effort I want to put into all of this. But yeah, I got, I'll, I'll do my best. I'm going to look into it. Is it expensive? Okay, cool. <laughs> Is it complicated? Uh, I think it's complicated. I don't think it's real expensive, but I, I do think it's kind of complicated. But Victor, you know more about it. Is it complicated? Once it's set up, it isn't too bad. The The hardest thing is uh, sort of giving birth to the baby. But after that that process is done and if you have everything automated, it's, it's pretty simple to um, to keep in check. It's just you got to be very sort of regimented and and make sure that you update stuff when you're supposed to. And that's is about is it. there a rule for how many podcasts a week you're supposed to do or, or, or can you no. just – You can you do, do them whenever you want. Okay, I'll look into it. But until then, I hope fans go to YouTube and go, you know, or they look at Brave Words and they find the interviews because it's not just all Kiss. I mean, I've interviewed, you know, uh, Rob Halford and then David Coverdale and the guys from Metallica and and uh, you know, if you Google Mitch Lafon, there's about seventy thousand search results that come up. So there's been about a good twenty years of interviewing. In fact. uh, you know, I know John works with Ace. I've interviewed Ace twice. I just threw those two up on my Facebook because somebody was asking, where can I read them? So I Googled it, found it, and put them up. Very cool. Excellent. Uh, this, uh, sorry, I, I wanted it's, to tell John well, a quick a quick thing about his Ace. Last Ace <laughs> interview for Anomaly, he phoned me while he was mattress shopping. <laughs> that and, is uh, classic Ace. That is classic Ace. Uh, you know, and I'm like, yeah, Ace, tell me about Anomaly. And he goes, hold on. Is that queen size or king? He goes, yeah, Mitch, what were you saying? It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's you know, he is funny. The, the funniest thing about Ace is that he could be, like, dead asleep at, like, 6 a.m., and, and there have been times where we'd be out on the road, and I would wake him up, give him a cup of tea, and, you know, he'd go from a deep sleep to a good radio interview and I don't know anyone else who can do that but on the other hand he does funny things like that like you know do interviews while doing other things even even the uh, Eddie Trunk interview he did uh, the other day um, in a shell station or something I yeah heard. he was at a gas station and I talked to him right before that he goes John um, you know I'm on the way to I just dropped off some guitars and uh, what do you think I should do I said well maybe you should just pull over like somewhere and do the interview instead of drive or try to make it just why don't you just pull over for a second? And that's what he did. But my so favorite part funny. of that my favorite part of that interview is when the police sirens go by and Eddie Trunk goes, Oh, it sounds like New York. He goes, Oh, well, Vegas is pretty rough, you know. Or like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I I flew out the very next morning to Vegas and uh, we were in the studio and uh, it, it was really fun. But uh, yeah, Mitch, the, those are f- funny, great stories. And I'm going to definitely. Um, tonight listen to both of those interviews and i had joined ace's team um a little after that um basically 
uh, after Anomaly came out, and I think that uh, Frank was uh, working with Ace at that point. So Munoz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then I joined. Kind of like Frank actually is the guy that brought me into the team because basically what happened is that uh, uh, Frank uh, and I had kind of had we had been acquainted and then uh, he said I could help out on a few gigs and then he had some type of family emergencies so then Ace said well uh, John while Frank is out doing his thing can you fill in for him and then it sort of just stuck so so that was that yeah and and you know we had. Uh... Frank on the three sides thing, and it, it was a great conversation. Fans dug it, and you know, there, back to my point, fans dig interviews. Correct. Well, now, that's what I. I want, I'm sorry, Mark. I wanted to chime in before uh, Mitch and say that Mark and I know this because I mean we've done you know 460 some talking metal episodes, and yeah, you know sometimes the listeners like to hear Mark and I chat about various things, but. Right. The the ones that do better with the amount of downloads are obviously the ones where we're interviewing someone. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're happy that people sometimes like to hear us chat, but the, the bulk of the people want to hear the interview. So I agree with you that if, you know, if I have the choice uh, between listening to, you know, a bunch of friends talk about uh, – you know how the elder was recorded uh, versus uh, talking to the engineer who recorded the elder. I'd rather talk to the engineer, or rather listen to that. You know. Well, that's it. You know, and and if you notice, there's a part, there's a an interview I did that I put up on YouTube of me talking to Alan Schwartzberg, the the drummer right. who played on the elder as a ghost and then played on Animalized as a ghost, and he he was poo-pooed as a guest they said no we don't want him not interesting wow and i was like huh okay well i'll just talk to him alone then you know <laughs> and and uh, i don't know I, i'd rather hear that because here's the thing i just as one of these kiss geek things like i would never understand like why wouldn't eric carr be the guy playing on it and why would they get another guy and i'd love to hear that that's to me something i would like to hear yeah, and, 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 and that, that makes sense to me. And not only why is Eric Carr not playing, but how do you go in there in that mental space as that drummer, like as Alan going, I have, do I have to sound like him? Do I have to sound like myself? Do I, you know, there's that whole preparation. I, I find that interesting. Definitely. Okay. Now, Maybe. on one of the last episodes you guys did, did, I might be imagining this, but didn't you guys mention that somebody was bumped uh, that you were going to interview? Yeah, we and- did. And the person yeah. was actually absolutely bumped because uh, we had uh, scheduled him for that Tuesday. And, um, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing blew up. And that was one where I agreed we probably should get on there and talk about that because that was sort of big news. And, and talking about it right. three weeks after the fact wouldn't make sense. So, yeah, we, we bumped somebody and, and they still haven't rebooked him. And so I... I I don't know if it's courteous to, to say who it is, so maybe sure. I should. No, yeah. yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You know. Now, you've done so many interviews through the years. You know, we've yeah. spoken a lot about KISS so far today, but who are some of your all-time favorite interviews outside of the KISS world? Oh, e- easy answers. First of all, uh, Rob Halford of uh, Judas Priest. I've interviewed him two or three times. Um, you know, one time we were up in his uh, hotel room in Montreal and we sat there for an hour and had this long interview. He's just absolutely so kind, so forthcoming. We'll answer anything. We'll answer it in detail. We'll answer it with anecdotes. And 
you, you know, he, he's, he's just he's just really, really nice. And he's also very professional. He doesn't give you yes, no answers. You ask him a question, even if he's heard it a million times, he'll give you an answer that you can use. Um, you know, uh, well, who else? Uh, you know, Brett Michaels also is great. He, he, he has his own uh, spiel that he wants to get out. You know, he's got his script that he wants to get out. But that's great. You just say, hey, Brett, tell me about and half an hour later you go thank you and you turn off the tape because he, he you know he gets it all out there um boy who else has been uh really great um well of course interviewing gene that first year eric singer of kiss is another great interview because uh, i've interviewed him i think four times three times and every time the conversation has gone for about four and a half five hours i mean the last wow. one i think i started at 9.30 at night, and at 2.30 in the morning, I was still going. He's like, oh, I'm watching the Lakers and ordering Thai food, and he's still going and going, and he, he, he answers the kiss questions, and then he starts going off on talking about other stuff, and he, he's just very engaging, and the fact that he would spend four hours on the phone with you and not say, look, buddy, I got 15 minutes, I'm out, is, is it's just really uh, appreciated. Uh, Eric is nicest guy and it really bothers me when I see people hassle him online and forget the whole kiss thing he's a real great person you know yeah, um, I've always been a fan of him from from some of the early stuff that he did and I yeah. remember him from the Paul Stanley solo tour I thought he was great and uh, he's always in my opinion been a cool guy and I as as a drummer I love to, to listen to him play, and I'd yeah. like to hear his interpretation of Peter's parts on some of the old tunes. Yeah, absolutely, and he does them great. I mean, he's, he's, he's well-rounded, and, and it's funny, as soon as you say that he's well-rounded and plays Peter's parts well, people go, oh, you're hating on Peter, and you're hating on... No, I'm not. I'm just appreciating Eric for being a really right. competent drummer, you know? Um, the, uh, another guy was um, Kirk from Metallica. Uh, when I went to interview him, I was sick as a dog that day. I mean, I was about to collapse, and, and I just kept saying, it's Metallica, get out of bed, get there. And they were so nice. They were backstage at the Bell Center in Montreal, and I was like, Can you want, do you want this? Do you want a water? And answer all the questions. And, oh, no, no. It's, you know, they said, you got 10 hard minutes. And he's like, don't listen to that. When you're done, you're done. And and I had a Scorpion CD that uh, called Scorpion's Gold that at the time was only selling in Canada. And he's looking at it, goes, "Oh, can I have that? That's so great! They can't buy this here." And he was just he, he was just interested in not just metallic. He was interested in the person, and um, you know that's that's great. You got to love people like that. Uh, another guy that gets a lot of heat is Jeff Tate. I've interviewed Jeff Tate probably fifteen times, and. He he just he's just always been super great to me. Always been super great. And he always goes, Mitch, I love talking to you because it's not an interview, it's a conversation and I love doing conversations. You know. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Victor, not to shut you out, you got some questions or a question for Mitch? Just one name to throw out there for Mitch. And uh, this is something that we've discussed in the past. Ansley Dunbar. Yeah, the uh, the drummer that 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 could almost was on uh, Revenge. He was Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, they uh they actually before they settled on Eric Carr, they had uh, uh Eric Carr, sorry. Eric Singer. 
uh, for Revenge, they had tried out five guys. You know, you, uh, Kevin Valentine played on that, and then they had tried out Ainsley. And, uh, boy, they tried out a couple more. It's in an interview. I did a Kiss Revenge series a couple of years ago, and all this came out on it. But, yeah, can you imagine if had Ainsley ended up either in Kiss or recording the Revenge album? I mean, history would have turned right then and there. Wow. Yeah, and it was in those interviews you actually uncovered that I believe it was you who uncovered that there were some sounds Vinnie Vincent uh, had laid down that actually had ended up on Revenge, like the opening feedback to um, Unholy. To Unholy, yeah, it was Vinnie right, Mitch? Yeah, that that was discussed. Uh, you know, I had that was I think it was my interview with Bruce for, in that series of Revenge interviews, and uh, Brave Words ran those if people want to Google it. And uh, the rumor was that Vinny had played all of Unholy, and Bruce said, you know, BS to that. He said, if anything, he did the scratching at the beginning, but nothing else. So, you know, uh, hey, little hey, uh, hey, Vinny minutia for you. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you, Mitch. I always, and, and I love, uh, let me say, I love Bruce Chillick. He's one of the greatest uh, guitarists I know, one of the greatest people I know. And, and so this is absolutely not any kind of a slight. I always thought that part of the lead in Card Jam sounded like Ace playing. What did you think? Uh, I thought that too. And, and you know, Ace did do a version with, with Eric way back when, but right. according to Bruce, they re-recorded it and they just had Bruce uh, basically copy the, the licks and play it note for note, much like right. on on uh, what was it kiss forever or whatever it was eric singer had done all those hot in the shade demos and then eric Carr just came in and redid right. them redid them yeah. yeah i i i had asked bruce about that too and i said well even the rhythm because even the rhythm sounded like it could have potentially been ace and he said yeah it was it was re-recorded um but it does have a different sound about it you know uh, that yeah. song it doesn't really fit in sonically with the rest of the record and I, I wondered maybe even if if there was some bleed through like on the drum mics, uh, if Ace had actually jammed that with Eric, maybe there could have been a little bleed through, and maybe technically there is some Ace left somewhere yeah. on that right. song on Revenge. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, you know that's know. very possible because you're right, especially if they're doing it as a jam and not really a recording session. When you're doing just a jam, you're not really dialing in and checking for bleed and and cymbal bleed you're just you know uh, you know if, if fans don't understand what bleed is is when the music sort of you know, spreads through the different mics and stuff they could have and then it could have just you know it, that's hard to remove especially in 1992 with the technology available right. it would have been impossible to remove so anything's possible in kiss world you know listen <laughs> uh, i found out that tommy thayer played on two songs on on uh, hot in the shade you know, nobody knew that wow. before. Right. Uh, you know. James. What? Jamie St. James. Jamie St. James did background vocals on right. uh, Revenge. Hey, so, Mitch, I, I got to, just while we're talking about Hot in the Shade and Tommy, I, I got to say that um, one of my favorite lyrics in the entire world, and uh, only Kiss fans, uh, hardcore Kiss fans are going to get this, it's the law of the jungle if you've got the hunger. Or if you got the hunger. <laughs> that, that's a right? great line. Yeah, Betrayed. And Tommy, of course, co-wrote that tune. And that always reminded me of like a Deuce 
type of a beat. And of course, it is a, a similar drum beat. And I always love that tune. And uh, till this day, I walk down the street going, it's the law of the jungle if you've got the hunger. I don't know why I do that, but I do. Like, it's weird, but I do. <laughs> it's like, no, the line you should remember is from Animalize, where it's, uh, put, I'll put my log in your fire, baby. Oh, Whatever yeah, from that absolutely. stupid burn, bitch, burn song. Oh, my God. <laughs> But hey, listen, Tommy. If you if you really think about it, uh, Black and Blue did a song, and and the name yeah, escapes me. But nasty, it came nasty, Domino, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it was Nasty Nasty. But that that. Oh, the song sounds exactly the same. It, it, it's the exact riff. I mean, the same exact thing. Yeah, and I guess Gene sort of went, "Hey, I'll take that." <laughs> right. <laughs> and and apparently Tommy didn't complain too much because all these years later he's in the band, so. It was good to keep his mouth shut and go, oh, okay, you can have yeah, that, boss, cool. no problem. Yeah, yeah. Good, good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what a great band. And and there's been so many ghost musicians. I don't know if they know who played on what, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of that is actually true, is that, like, they don't remember exactly who did what on all of the records from, you know, 1974 until now. And I still, even today... And this is going to show my insane kiss geekdom. I I still swear that that really sounds like Gene at the beginning of Detroit Rock City, uh, and not Bob Ezrin. But they've they've asked Bob Ezrin that, and they've asked Gene that, and they both say it's Bob Ezrin. But to me, it sounds like Gene. Yeah. By the way, uh, if you remember when I said that uh, Bob Ezrin broke up Kiss, did you see the the, the latest Guitar World interview where? They asked Gene when Kiss started falling apart, and he said, when Bob Ezrin... <laughs> wow, wow. I, I just got that, but I haven't read the whole thing yet. Oh, yeah. Hey, I called it, boys and girls. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, Bob, you, you know, and uh, I just did a song with uh, Dick Wagner, and wow. it's going to be released in May, and it's, it's, it's all Kiss-related, and, and I'll give you more details. I, I'm sort of keeping a lid on, on what this is, but I'll tell you all about it. But I got, I got Dick to recreate some of his greatest kiss moments nice oh wow cool yeah for may 3rd release is what we're looking at i believe yeah all right may and 3rd. where where will we go to to hear and see this ah well it, when it comes out it's going to go straight uh, to itunes so coming in oh, may okay. some some new dick wagner doing some kiss and speaking you know. of itunes a world with heroes is up on itunes right you can still go buy those tracks yeah, absolutely. On uh, on iTunes, I did something incredible. I did 11 bonus tracks. If you bought the CD, you got 40 songs. If you go to iTunes, you get 51 songs. And I also repurposed some of them just, you know, so people could have samplers. I did a, a best of the 80s, uh, you know, of all those tribute songs. It's the exact same songs. So it's just repackaged where you get like 15 songs for 10 bucks. The money still goes to charity. And coming March 8th on my wife's birthday... I'm doing a best of the 70s of those. It's just a repurposing. They're, they're not new tracks. They've not been tinkered with. If you have them already, there's nothing to go get. But it's just so that if you want, you know, 15 of the favorite 70s songs redone on this tribute, uh, you can go get it for a nice cheap price. I think it's like $10.99 or $11.99. And every single penny from these songs, from now till the end of time, will keep going to that palliative care home. Re regardless of how I repackage or repurpose, that's what the money's for and that's what their tracks are for very cool what a what a great cause and 
all of the listeners should do their part and go pick up at least one of these collections. If you can't do the, the entire 50-some songs, get one of these uh, smaller collections, and it's it's all going to be cool, and it's all for a great cause. So, yeah, And if, if they want one of the CDs, I've literally got 30 left as of today. I had 1,000. They're all gone wow. except for this one. I found a box hidden behind in, in the closet, and it has like 30 CDs left, and... <laughs> You know, people can get yeah. in touch with me through my the Facebook. The CD or is great. I actually bought the CD, and uh, it you know to have the the booklet and just the physical CD that you can throw in your car, or whatever is is always nice. I wanted to quickly mention a couple of the songs off the CDs. A song called "Back on the Streets," which yeah. you have a version of Richie Scarlet doing it with John Regan and Todd Howarth, which is yeah. is really good. But uh, let's talk about that coming together and also some of the other versions of this song that kind of exist in the in the kiss universe let's start with uh your your version on a world with heroes how did you get these three guys together to uh record this ah well that's that's what we call studio magic um you know i I got in touch with doug snazzle who had put together uh the tribute album return of the comet which i had worked on as well actually Right, I remember and, you, Mitch, from back in those days. That's yeah. when I first, like, uh, became acquainted acquainted with you. Yeah, back in ninety six, ninety seven. I'm always the go to guy. I'm the guy who goes gets all these musicians. That's that's what I'm good at. And uh, Doug had come to me and said, "I had this project," and I said, "I'll get you the people." And and so I did. And um, we had done back on the streets for that album, and then. This year, I called him up and I said, can I use a couple of these songs because they're not available anywhere, they're not on iTunes and all that. And he said, yeah, go ahead. And then I thought to myself, well, if I just take a song that already exists and put it out as a bonus track, is it really a bonus track, you know? And so I called Todd and I said, listen to these two songs, I'm an Animal and Back on the Streets. Can you do something? And so he took them into the studio, threw them up on the rack, and recorded brand new uh, backing vocals, and, and I think added a little bit of guitar or keyboard to them to beef it up. And so it's basically the the, the Return of the Comet track with a brand new layered uh, BV track over it. Nice studio magic, cool. but yeah, it sounds talk- great. It sounds great. I love that version of it. But let's talk about some of the other versions. The first time I think I heard this song, maybe it was the second. Uh, time because it was on the first Vinnie Vincent record but then I remember I had this cassette that I had bought at a record swap in the Chicago suburbs of an Ace concert I believe in New York and Ace had played the song and so that's just kind of weird because Vinnie wrote the song right right yeah but I mean back in the day and maybe John can correct me a lot of people were submitting stuff to Ace for consideration. I mean, uh, Paul had submitted Hide Your Heart, and, you know, Ace was going around uh, picking up all these different songs to try to find a song, you know, a song that fit him. And, um, you know, back on the streets, listen, uh, Europe recorded a version. Uh, right. I think I think Kiss might have even tried a, a demo version of it. So you know, it was Vinnie a song. Vincent in one of those Kiss official Kiss books. Vinnie Vincent says that there is a Kiss version with Paul singing lead. Right, and and he did his own version. So you know, it's just the way it goes. You you write a song and you try to get people to um, to record it, make some money on it. But um, that's actually John Norm. Uh, oh right, right, right. Sorry, right. But, John, and John oh, was of course the guitarist of Europe. 
of your. Yeah. I'm getting old. I I, I forget. <laughs> Just trying yeah, to help. No, but it's a, it's. By the way, John Norm's version is is absolutely fantastic too. You know? you know what? I don't think I've ever actually heard that, but I've always remembered that he did do that song. Uh, yeah. Similar to Hide Your Heart, where, where there was the Ace version, there was the Kiss version, there was the Bonnie Tyler version. The Molly, Molly Hatchet. Hatchet. Yeah, Molly Hatchet did a version, which oh, wow. I don't even remember that one. But Oh, I have that on CD. It's oh, scary. that's very cool. I used to have, uh, and this is a funny thing, a promo cassette with a green insert. It was the Bonnie Tyler version. That was... Uh, I bought the actual <laughs> Bonnie Tyler album and the Molly Hatchet album. I had oh, to have. Oh, that's great. I had to have. You know, that, that was part of my collecting back in the day. I, yeah. I'm not really a merchandise guy. I know on three sides I throw show a whole bunch of merchandise, but that's my girlfriend's or my wife or or, or my girlfriend at the time, I should say, or my mom <laughs> or somebody who buys them as Your gifts. Your current girl. I was, was going to say, Mitch, my bro, you've got a girlfriend. wife, a family, no. you've got a girlfriend. Uh, no, no, but it was always somebody buying me that stuff. But what I always was was the music and so i would track down every single kiss cover so i have 600 kiss cds but 499 of them are different bands doing kiss covers you and, know what uh, i i gotta tell you this uh mitch i and i'm sure you have this too i have the paul dean promo cd of sword and stone yes isn't that great isn't that cool yeah <laughs> and guys if you don't know who paul dean is he's from Loverboy, the guitarist right cool. great band great band well, Mitch, uh, thanks so much for joining us. I, we're going to wrap things up, but to take us out, I'd love to play off of the World with Heroes CD, the Bumblefoot, Rex Brown, Brian Tishy version of Detroit Rock City. I mean, this just sonically sounds so amazing. Yeah, and can I give you a quick, a quick story on that? Uh, two seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Bumblefoot was one of the first artists I contacted to do this. In fact, he was in that, that first batch of like four emails or five emails that went out. Not only did he answer me the same day, he sent me a finished demo version of it the same day. That oh is God. nuts. <laughs> Bumblefoot, well, you asked me about interviews. Oh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He is the world. You probably just were with him at that Eddie Trunk show, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is the world's nicest guy. I mean, he is not a rock star attitude at all. He is just a decent human being. And, he went, yeah, it's for your dad, uh, your, you know, your father-in-law's cancer thing. Done. Done. Wow. You know? Unbelievable. And then I got Rex Brown to play on it, and then I got Brian Tishy to play on it, and they just made it this big, huge thing, but no ego. 24 hours later, it was all done. So wow, that's good for him. Amazing, but it's great. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad you enjoy it. And, and you know, check out the, um, check out the album, and... Wait for May. There's a little something special coming in May. Okay. I always, I always, keep, cool, I always keep busy. I'll tell you off air. <laughs> cool. Cool. So there you go. Mitch, well, thank thanks you. so much for taking the time to come on our show tonight. And we really appreciate it. And it was a great conversation. I couldn't help myself. to. I wanted to jump in and chime in because I was having so much fun. So thank you again. And uh, let's definitely keep in touch for sure. Yeah, listen, I'll come on anytime. Listen, I got I've got plenty of free time. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. You know, so there you go. Well, thank you. Okay, best thank of you. luck to you, Mitch, and we'll definitely touch base soon. Great. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. We go with a little Detroit Rock City off of a world with heroes.
That was Detroit Rock City featuring Brian Titchy, Rex Brown, and Bumblefoot coming off of a world with heroes. Uh, like Mark, I have that on CD as nice. well, and I did go out on iTunes and, and bought the additional 11 tracks because, like most of us uh, <laughs> here tonight, we're all kiss freaks, so yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, well, it was good to talk yeah. with Mitch. And, yeah, very uh, good guy. Yeah, great guy, and, you know, it, he, didn't, he didn't really slam the other guys too hard. Uh, basically, what we got out of the, the interview with Mitch is that he wanted to do more interviews with three sides of the coin, and uh, Michael and Tommy did not. At least that's what, what I got out of the interview. They wanted to make it more of a, a just a show where where fans talk about KISS, and Mitch thought the show would be more interesting having uh, people on and, and interviewing other people. So right. I guess it'll be interesting to see if the podcast actually continues with without Mitch. Uh, right. Again, and we're if they're going to get the, a new guy or, or just do it with two people. Yeah, which hopefully if they do it with two people, they will change the name to Two Sides of the Coin, which would make more sense because that's... Uh, the name of the Ace song. Yeah, on, the name of the Ace song, right? It could work, right? Could work. Cool. I, th- well, guys- I always think they should have been a little cooler to Ace. I'm joking. I'm just kidding. Since uh, the, the title came from that. Well, you know, opinionated guys. You know, that guy, Chris, who has his uh, Chris from the Decibel Geek podcast, said something. I think he said it on the, the Talking Metal Digital stream, actually, last week, uh, Victor. He said something to you, I think, about... You know, there's certain things you have to be careful when you talk about them. Religion, politics, and now kiss because, you know, you're so – people get so worked up and fired up about this and that. And, you know, it's uh, – it, it, it's you know, the main thing that that shows is that, you know, if we didn't love kiss so much, uh, you know, I know there's the people that hate Tommy. There's the people that think kiss is doing the right thing, not having Ace and Peter in the band. There's all people, you know, people think Vinnie Vincent is the greatest thing that ever happened to kiss. There's all these different opinions going around, but I think the thing that we can say about all of us as kiss fans is we all love kiss. And, and if we didn't love kiss so much, we wouldn't get so worked up over somebody saying this or that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, it, it, it's when somebody calls somebody you love a name, you get mad, you know, and, and when somebody calls somebody you don't know or don't care about a name, you could care less. But so I think it's just a testament to this great band that, you know, Ace, Peter, Paul and Gene, uh, built, you know, back in the seventies and that people like Bruce Kulik, uh, continued to help fly the flag for in in the 80s and 90s and and now we have uh you know people like tommy in the band and i i think you know for me personally i just uh love them all and a big tip of the hat to them all and and i can we can argue different stuff back and forth all day long but the the main thing is that this is just such a great special band to all of us and and that's right. why we're all so passionate about it absolutely no doubt about it and Mark, you're one of Mark. the only people that I know who actually ever spoke to Vinny, and you did a uh, you talked to him on one of those Rockline type shows. 
And I've been, you know, I've been trying. It was actually RPM, Real Precious Metal, with Scott Loftus, a local show in the Chicagoland area. And I spoke with him off air and on air on that show. He was he and Dana Strum were doing press for the first record, the first Invasion record, and a lot of the like a, a lot of not a lot but a handful of the interviews that Scott Loftus did on this radio station RPM back in the day um have ended up on YouTube like the one with Metallica Lars and Cliff and I think it's actually the whole band is which I remembered hearing live because I had been at the Metallica concert it was when they opened for Ozzy and when I got home from the concert I turned on the radio and and Metallica were on air live with Scott Loftus. Um, and uh, I've looked for the Vinnie Vincent one, but it hasn't surfaced, which wow. it's, it's so funny. You know, now everything is recorded and, you know, on demand and stuff. But back in the day, there were certain stuff that, you know, on television and radio yeah. that was just kind of, it went out over the air and no one bothered to record that was it. it. That was not it. even the stations, not even yeah. the stations. <laughs> yeah. And if the or stations did, they threw it out, you know, at some right. point. Look at Live Aid. They did that with Live Aid, actually, where the um, the, the show in Philly was originally uh, thrown out or about to be thrown out, and they rescued it like the last second before the uh, DVD set Jeez. came out. That's crazy. And that's, you know, that, that important. Hey, you know what, uh, Mark? I, I, we've never done this on a, a show yet, but you've got to remind me. I've got to find these cassettes back in my parents' house where I called into a Boston radio show that was very similar to the one you talked to Vinny on, and I talked to Paul and Jean, believe it or not. Like, this had to be in the, uh, you know, 80s, like late 80s. So we've got to find that, figure out how to transfer a cassette to something digital and maybe play that. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah, really fun. But. Cool. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Um, do you have that ghost song on, on tap there, Victor? Absolutely. This is a band yeah. that, John, you really should get into. I think you'd uh, like them. Yeah, I, I just love the whole vibe of what they are. I was telling a coworker of mine who's you know not into metal, because uh, 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 we were walking down uh, the street in Times Square, and on the... Uh, billboard for the nokia theater it said ghost and i said this is how i described them i said they're these guys they're like ghouls i said they they you don't know what they look like i said the the singer is like a skeleton pope or something like that and i said but i think he recently went somewhere and did some kind of thing without the makeup or with you yeah know, but the even costume. that when he did the thing without the makeup even that uh-huh. was a disguise that's not oh. what he really that's oh, not okay. what he really so looks like he that. was like oh, dressed up like, like this old guy um yeah but by the way uh, emily and i are going we're supposed to go to that show at at nokia um and now she can't go but so i might have an extra ticket if you want to go yeah i'll buy it off of you yeah when when is it you know uh it's like in may i think oh okay yeah that sounds good yeah uh, let let me know and i'll I'll buy the ticket off you yeah it's like 30 bucks so yeah perfect all right do you think they switch singers mark I don't know. It's really hard to say because I read somewhere that on the first record it was, you know, I think it's listed as a different singer and the 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 guy on the second record has that two after his name. But the voices on the the for the two records sound pretty similar to me, but maybe a little different. I don't know. I really don't know. Wow. The one theory that I have and before making this a long-winded <laughs> conversation since everyone is under a mask, what are the chances are 
or, or of the band, actually, their whole thing from the beginning is to rotate. Yeah, you know who sings or who's playing what, because you never know. The original singer uh, supposedly was the guitarist in some uh, Swedish death metal band, so he can play guitar. So maybe he's one of the guitarists or bass players now, and they just swap yeah, spots. Different guys. That's that's really funny. Uh, I. Believe it or not, this is totally not metal, but uh, when I came home from college one year, I played in a lounge band that played songs like Girl from Ipanema, and I was a keyboard player. And uh, the, the the band was called Clap Hands, Here Comes Charlie. And uh, I, I didn't, it was like a 70s thing, but this was in the 80s, of course. And there was an A group and the B group, so the, the lead guy in the band would book the same band in two separate gigs on the same night so sometimes the, you'd get the a band and sometimes you'd get the b band and it was just a rotating group of people and so maybe that's what ghost is doing could be i don't uh, think so but it could be you never know right. there's uh one of them i said one of the guitar players i thought was used to be in crash diet there was one rumor i read right. but wow. kind of a glammy scandinavian hard rock metal band but who knows the truth anyways all we do know is that the music is great and the band is Ghost. Let's uh, wrap things up here with the song Year Zero.